The next hour will inform you on how cybersecurity is one of the most significant threats to our national security, as well as the battle that cybersecurity experts are undergoing every day on your behalf to protect you, your families, and your data. Welcome to Task Force 7 Radio with your host, the president and CEO of Task Force 7 Radio and Task Force 7 Technologies, George Reedus. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 91 of Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm your host, George Reedus, along with my co-host, the CISO of Siena, Annie Vanillo. One of sizable things expressed in the show on my own, I'm not my past or past employers. I would never disclose any sensitive intelligence that I've been privileged to ever sort of my current employment, and I would never knowingly disclose any classified information related to any security clearances I presently hold or have held in the past with the United States government, and nothing I say during this show should be construed as legal or financial advice. So before we get started, I remind our listeners, you can go online at the Cybersecurity Hub and read a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at the very cool website, www.cshub.com. The Cybersecurity Hub is an online news source for global cybersecurity professionals and business leaders who leverage technology and services to secure their networks. The media professionals at the Cybersecurity Hub are dedicated to providing the latest industry news, thought leadership, and analysis in the cybersecurity space. So again, to check out a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news, go to the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. So we had a very senior executive from one of my favorite companies in the world last week on the show. Eric Murphy, the vice president of security research, was on with us to unpack everything you need to know about account takeover fraud. So he crushed it last week, and I mean he really crushed it. He's a really smooth cat. He's very articulate. He's very easy to follow. And he came on to talk about the underground world of account takeover fraud and how criminals collaborate to take control of your online accounts. And he spoke specifically about what can be done to protect you and your family and your company from this ever-increasing risk to your money, your loyalty reward points programs, you even talk about that, your PII and your identity information, which everybody's familiar with, and your access, of course, to your employer's network. And we spoke about it from an enterprise-wide uh, perspective as well, which many professionals will be interested in. So, you know, <laughs> A lot of guys in the cybersecurity space think they have all the answers to account takeover fraud in, 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 enterprise, in the enterprise world, right? So in corporate, I think everyone says when you talk about account takeover, they say, oh, I got it covered. Uh, it's not a problem. Well, I, I don't think so. The truth is that they really don't. So the show was for everyone last week, whether you're a seasoned cybersecurity professional or not, because Eric unpacked account takeover fraud in a way that everyone can understand. Right? And this is important because if you're listening to something you don't understand what they're saying, then what's the sense of even listening, right? And it means, and what, what it really means to you in this world of account taker or fraud and the consequences it could have on your daily life, right? Which is very interesting stuff to most people. So he also advised our audience what it really means to get a notification letter from a retailer that your identity has been compromised. And explains the difference between account takeover, we, sometimes we call it ATO, and identity theft. And of course, from a professional viewpoint, Eric also broke down ATO prevention methods that can be used on the enterprise front using comprehensive intelligence gathering methods and proactive security models. And a lot of these models that we see today, at least in my opinion, especially with these uh, old SOC con ops documents that I look at, are really purely reactive. And Eric talks about how to move away from that. Right? It's not as easy as it would sound, right? It's not as easy as it would sound. And transformational change is difficult to happen in a lot of places, especially in cybersecurity. So if you missed it last week, not to fret. Just go to your favorite playback medium. You can catch it anytime right at the top of your TF7 radio episode library. That's everything you need to know about account takeover fraud with the vice president of security research at SpyCloud, Eric Murphy. On last week's episode, that's episode number 90 of Task Force 7 Radio. Well, if you're listening to us live right now on Voice America, or maybe someone just sent you the link to this episode, you might be wondering how you can listen to all the previous Task Force 7 Radio episodes on playback. Just go to our new TF7 Radio site at www.tf7radio.com and hit the episode tab at the top of the homepage, and you can find all the TF7 Radio episodes at your fingertips. You can also search our guest library 
which is the most comprehensive list of some of the most prolific cybersecurity professionals in the world. And of course, we have our news section as well, where you can check out all the latest cybersecurity news on Task Force 7 Radio, and you can even write comments on the different articles and topics that we're talking about, which is always a lot of fun. So we are on at least 11 different playback mediums right now. We made it easy for you to find them all. Just hit the subscribe button at the top right of the homepage, and you will see your entire selection of playback mediums, and most importantly, you can subscribe to our show right from the TF7 Radio website, which is the best way to go. So this is the way you'll get all the TF7 Radio updates right from the site. As the site gets more robust, you'll get notified about TF7 extras and encore episodes like the one we'll be posting soon, probably early this month, uh, probably in the next week or so. And I can't wait to see what it's going to be this month because I, I, you know, I'm always excited to pick these encore episodes because you know, these, these, these are the episodes that do really, really well. People like to listen to them, and sometimes I, you know, you play this little game, and you see, you know, the more people listen to it the second time, listen to it the first time, which is amazing. It just shows you how many people uh, are, are listening to the show. So, uh, it, so look, folks, check us out. It's www.tf7radio.com to hear any of our episodes at your convenience, 24/7, 365, anytime, anywhere around the globe. And as always, whatever you do, don't forget to subscribe. We love it when you subscribe. So. We got another informative show for you this week with another tier one cybersecurity professional. Uh, we're going to have the managing director of the Information Security Forum, Steve Durbin, on the show with us this evening. So a little bit about this, the, the Information Security Forum, if you haven't heard of it. It's also called the ISF. It was founded in 1989, and it's an independent, not-for-profit organization with a membership comprising many of the world's leading organizations featured on the Fortune 500 and Forbes 2000 list, all right? This is a very big player in the cybersecurity world. And the organization is dedicated to, to investigating and clarifying and resolving key issues in information security and risk management, which is, of course, our business here, right? And, that, that's, and they do that by developing these best practice methodologies and processes and solutions that meet the business needs of their members. And they go out and they help them solve these problems. They basically solve problems. That's what they do which is great, and they bring people together, and, and they sort of, a, it's like a think tank in a lot of respects. It's a huge network. And the ISF uh, also provides these members with this trusted and confidential environment. And whenever we talk about cybersecurity, you're always talking about trust. You're always talking about trust, and they have, they've been doing this for a long time, obviously since, since 1989. So their, their, their in-depth knowledge and practical experience is second to none in this space. This approach that they use enables the ISF to harness these collective insights and knowledge of its members to deliver leading edge solutions that are comprehensive and pragmatic and effective, which is key. They have to be viable, right? They have to be pragmatic. You have to actually be able to implement them in the real world. And by working together, members avoid the major expenditure required to reach the same goals on their own. So it's cost effective as well. The ISF provides consultancy services, which is really interesting. And that's where they, that's where they differ from other network, uh, cybersecurity networks. They're actually a consultancy that further provide independent and objective guidance, support, and training to their members. So they strive to better support global business leaders in this space and information security professionals to build and embed cyber resilience in their organizational structure, their planning process, processes, their information risk management, and information security initiatives. So the ISF is a big deal in the cybersecurity world. So I'm super stoked to have one of their senior executives with us tonight. And as the managing director of ISF, Steve's main areas of focus include strategy, information technology, cybersecurity, and the emerging security threat landscape across both the corporate and personal environments. So again, you know, very wide audience in here, and that's why it's great to have him on the show, because I know we have people that are cybersecurity professionals, we have people that are interested in cybersecurity, we have people that work in adjacent uh, domains to cybersecurity, uh, that interact with cybersecurity professionals on a daily basis in their careers. So this is a great person to have. He's a frequent speaker and commenter, commentator on, on technology and security issues all over the world. So he's very comfortable in, the, in, in front of the microphone. Uh, a little bit more about him. He's formerly uh, at, he was at Ernst & Young. He was involved with IPOs and mergers and acquisitions of fast growth companies across Europe and the USA. He's got a tremendous amount of international and global experience. And he's also advised a number of NASDAQ and NSE-listed global technology companies while he was there. Steve has considerable experience working in the technology and telecoms market and was previously the senior vice president over at Gartner. 
So you can imagine his, his network is pretty, pretty wide. Steve has also served as a Digital 50 Advisory Committee member in the United States, a body established to improve the talent pool for Fortune 500 boards around cybersecurity and information governance. And he has been ranked as one of the top 10 individuals shaping the way that organizations and leaders approach information security careers. So it's my pleasure to welcome the Managing Director of the Information Security Forum, Steve Durbin, to the show. Steve, welcome to Task Force 7 Radio. Hi, George. Thanks for having me on. Hey, so I want to jump right into it here, and I'm going to talk about cybersecurity and the culture in cybersecurity a little bit. And when we talk about cybersecurity, it's often viewed as a technology issue. They often, often report to the chief technology officer or the chief information officer in some respects in some companies. Uh, the CISO does, the whole organization. But are there risks to leaving it squarely on the shoulders of the CIO, no matter how capable he or she may be? Yes, it's a good question, and and, and I think uh, a lot of organisations obviously do have it in in that bucket. You know, the CISO does report in through the the technology arm. I, I think there are some challenges with it. I, I'd put it that way, um, and I think that that is you're primarily taking or tending to take a technology perspective on cybersecurity, and and that means that you could be leaving behind some of the other elements that you need to be taking into account. I'm thinking about things like. Uh, the element of risk, for instance. I'm thinking about uh, people. I'm thinking about the role of leaders within the uh, the organization, the board. Um, and so that there are challenges of viewing it only through the lens of, of technology, uh, but I can understand why people do it because clearly, uh, you know, we are all digitally enabled. It is all about technology. And so uh, it's a natural place, I think. Going forward, though, I, I always like to see organizations taking a, a, a little bit of a broader perspective and, and viewing it more from the risk standpoint, and so transferring uh, the security guys more into that risk space. I think that's, that gives for a much more rounded perspective on cybersecurity across the enterprise. So should it report directly to the chief risk officer, you're saying, basically? Yeah, I, that, that for me seems to be a, a, a better way of doing it because when I look at cybersecurity, it is all about the management of risk. And, you know, by putting it, as I say, into this sort of technology bucket, we leave behind some of those elements. Um, we need to understand the risk appetite of the organization in order to make the right sort of cybersecurity decisions in terms of where we're going to be placing resources and, and, and so on. Um, and it's not that CIOs perhaps don't make those calls, but they tend to have a different perspective and it tends to be about information um, management, it tends to be about digital from the regard of how do I protect the technology related to it and the software and so on. Um, and security tends to have a fraction of their overall budget. Whereas if you move it into risk, then we're looking at the way in which an organization manages risk of which cybersecurity is a, is a huge component, of course. So how about the budget in that respect? I mean, if the, if the cybersecurity team reports to the chief risk officer instead of the CIO, do you think they have a better chance of getting more resources that they may need to build that defense and death security posture than they would if they reported to the CIO or in technology? Because it seems like the technology teams get pounded, right, with, with yeah. constant cutbacks. Yeah, they do. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I mean, it's, it's all about, you know, the being viewed as a cost to the business, isn't it? And, and you know, if you're, if you're in that cost bucket, then people want to reduce you. And what you really want to do is move out of the cost bucket um, and really align yourself with the strategic direction that the enterprise is going. You want to be able to support the future direction of the company, support the growth of the organization, support the way in which it's serving its, its shareholders. Um, and growing its markets and, and new product development and so on. And for me, that's, that's the real home for security. It's about um, security by design. It's about making sure that when we do go to market with new products and services, we've thought through some of these security issues. And I think that that's a much more comfortable conversation to be having from all respects if you are viewing it from a risk management standpoint. Um, because you, you're beginning to talk already the language of the business. You know, you're aligned much better with what it is that the business is looking to do and you can understand the risks that the business might be prepared to take. Um, and so that's why I'm, I'm more comfortable with it in that, in that space. 
And one of the, the side benefits of that, of course, is that it becomes a little easier to justify some of the um, some of the expenses that you might necessarily need to incur because you can relate it directly to the strategic direction that the company is going in, as opposed to, as I say, sitting in this cost bucket being viewed as something that's a bit of an overhead. Well said, well said. Let's move up the ladder a little bit with the CEO okay. and let's talk about their role. How would you define the CEO's role in cybersecurity? We haven't talked about that too much yet. No, that's right, we haven't. Uh, I mean, for me, the CEO is, is crucial in all of this. He or she is, is really setting the tone for the way in which cybersecurity is enabled across the enterprise. It's about leadership. It's about performing a pivotal role between the organization and the board of directors. It's about um, really making sure that what needs to get done gets done, if I could put it that way. Um, and, and I think that, you know, increasingly, we're seeing regulators, uh, legislators really turning up the heat on their CEO to say, you know what, you've, you guys have really got to step up um, and directors in general. And so for me, anyway, you know, as, as somebody who runs an organization, um, cybersecurity is, is something that I have responsibility for. It, it's something that I actually wouldn't want to offload to anybody else from a leadership standpoint. Um, certainly, I, I'm going to want to have the right people uh, at the technical level, at the risk level, at the legislative level, um, to support me in that. But it's about setting the right tone, the culture, uh, and leading by example, frankly. You know, you, this is an area where you really do have to not just talk the talk, but walk the walk as well. So you're talking about cybersecurity as a growth enabler and not as an obstacle or a cost of doing business, uh, like you mentioned before. So are enough organizations including it as a part of their business strategy? I think we're getting there. Um, I, I think if we look at the way that uh, things have changed just over the last, I don't know, two to three years, then I would say that there is much more of a, uh, an awareness that um, cybersecurity can act as a competitive differentiator. And that wasn't the case you know, a number of years back. Uh, I'm, I'm aware of a, um, a number of, of, of decent-sized organizations that, have, that are actually viewing cyber as a, um, uh, as a bit of a digital disruptor, um, as a competitive differentiator, leading with it in terms of talking about brand reputation, um, the way in which they're going to be delivering service to their, uh, to their client base. Um, but I have to say, th those, are the, uh, are, those are the exceptions. Um, I think, though, that if we don't include it as a growth enabler, then we are going to run the risk of it either falling by the wayside from a business strategy standpoint or being viewed, as we were just talking, as being this cost thing that we have to do. I think if you can flip it, if you can say, you know, we are in a cyber-enabled environment, we are a cyber-enabled uh, organization, um, how can we use that to our advantage to drive our business forward? Then you quite naturally begin to think of it from that growth standpoint, rather than something that you have to go back around and fix because you need to do it. So it's, it's kind of tricky because I'm, I'm not sure that some of the organizations are doing that in, in, in this, even in the smallest way. So if I look at the, the, uh, the, the business strategy, and then I take a look at the technology strategy, the technology should be uh, a strategy that's, that's aligned to providing the business the technology that they need to be profitable, right? And then the security strategy, should be aligned to the technology strategy, make sure they're securing that technology for the business. Now, these three different strategies, when, when someone sits down and say, okay, um, one of the inputs into the uh, information security strategy organization is obviously going to be these business and technology strategies. I don't think they even consider that a lot of times. I don't even think they read it. What's your experience? Yeah, I, I think you. I think unfortunately you're spot on. I, I, that's why I say we're in we're in the early stages of, of it. Um, but I think that the smart organisations uh, really do get it. They really do understand it. They, they they understand the whole way in which you know digital is impacting uh, the way in which business is done. And if you get that, then you're viewing uh, technology and 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 security as something that that does operate as an enabler. Because without it, you don't have a business. And I think that that is the um, that's the aha moment for people. You know, if without it, my business doesn't exist, then what am I going to do? So let's talk about a little bit about 
what some of the less apparent impacts of a security breach are beyond the impact on the brand and the operations and things that people commonly see that are just sort of apparent to the, the, the regular Joe out there that watches cable news. Yeah. What are some of the, these uh, intrinsic things that happen uh, to organizations when they, when they get breached? Yeah. Um, I mean, some of the things that, that, that don't hit headlines because it is just, you know, the, the day-to-day operation um, stuff is, is the impact that a breach has on the, just the simple resourcing across the enterprise. It slows you down. It stops you doing what you're there to do. So it has an impact on people, has an impact on your business focus. Um, and, and very often the, the dollar impact of that far exceeds anything related to the, to the breach itself. So it's this sort of um, invisible cost, if I could put it that way, of lost opportunity effectively, because you're having to divert resources from what they would normally be doing to fixing a breach to having to make sure perhaps that uh, you know, you, you, you've got your systems back up and running effectively, um, to making sure that your sales team is able to, to operate effectively, that you're not gonna be making the same mistakes again. Um, and, and we shouldn't underestimate the drain that that places on an organization because it, it just knocks it off course. And I think it's very difficult to plan for um, we can plan for the day when a breach does happen and have our you know, cyber response team in place and understand you know, who's going to be up in terms of talking to the press, the stakeholders, and, and so on. And we can have our technical teams who can practice, rehearse um, how to get systems back up and running. But it's very difficult for us to um, rehearse how the business itself is going to respond. We don't know, for instance, how clients might respond to a breach. Um, we need to reassure them. Well, that's going to be taking time out of the marketing director's uh, day and indeed some of the sales leaders' day, not to mention some of the senior leaders. And those are some of the intangibles that uh, I, I think a, a breach really uh, begins to impact. Increasingly, of course, we're also starting to see um, significant breaches uh, resulting in class action lawsuits. So now you've brought your legal team in and the costs associated with all of that and the distraction cost too, because you shouldn't underestimate the amount of leadership time that is taken up just in terms of attending, um, you know, sitting down with, with uh, attorneys and, and, and really thinking through some of the ways in which we're going to respond to, uh, to those sorts of lawsuits. And that's becoming something more of a norm, as I say, with some of the larger, uh, larger breaches that we've seen. All right, folks, we've got to transition into a commercial break right now. But if you're a social media junkie, don't forget to follow TF7 Radio on your favorite social media platform. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and even Instagram by searching at TF7 Radio, and you'll be connected to the extended TF7 family. For any inquiries regarding sponsoring the show or suggestions for topics or guests, please email me directly at george.redis at tf7radio.com. That's george.redis at tf7. That's with the number 7radio.com. I want to remind our audience that we're building the world's premier cybersecurity professional network, Task Force 7. I'm really excited about this, folks. Tune in over the next several months for more information on this much-needed and much-awaited-for network. We're going to solve some problems together, I promise you. Task Force 7, get in the fight. We're going to pause for some quick messages from our sponsors, and then we'll be right back with our special guest, the Managing Director of the Information Security Forum, Steve Durbin. So whatever you do, don't go away. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. We're not your typical security vendor. In fact, the script for this ad was written by an engineer, not a marketing guru. Because at Sock Prime, we're focused on features that matter to our users. Our threat detection marketplace has over 30,000 cross-platform SIM and EDR rules. Our downloadable Sigma, Yara, and Snork detections can be deployed with just a few clicks. And our map to the MITRE ATT&CK framework, enabling quicker and more strategic detection. With support from Sock Prime's veteran team and our community of contributors, we bridge the blue team skills gap and cover emerging threats with daily releases of new content. 
Nearly three quarters of the threat detection marketplace is free to download. Register for free at tdm.socprime.com with promo code radio 2019 to receive one free key to unlock premium content. That's tdm.socprime.com. Promo code radio 2019. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 hacker innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Signet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Signet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Signet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at Secure security-innovation.org or Google Sinet S-I-N-E-T. Account takeover is the fastest growing form of cyber attack. Criminals exploit compromised accounts for financial gain, often causing irreparable and long-term damage to finances and reputation. Many companies think they're protected. They believe using a password manager, multi-factor authentication, behavior-based technology, password rotations, or solutions that scan the deep and dark web is enough. Yet the account takeover problem only continues to get worse. SpyCloud combines human intelligence and automated technology to prevent account takeover for your customers and employees. We recover stolen credentials early in the account takeover lifecycle before the credentials are sold on dark forums. Check your exposure for free at spycloud.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for the keywords voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for voice America. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with our special guest, the Managing Director of the Information Security Forum, Steve Durbin. So, Steve, I want to pick up where we left off on the last segment, uh, talking about the CEO and what their role is in terms of cybersecurity in the organization. So, should a CEO encourage innovative, out-of-the-box thinking from a, a CIO or a CISO, or should they really just stick to sort of basic cyber hygiene, where it seems like a lot of the, the problems and the breaches that are going on now? I mean, I know everyone wants to be innovative and disruptive and everybody wants this sort of critical thinking process going, but it just seems like a lot of the ground ball stuff in cybersecurity is not being paid attention to. What's your take? Yeah, it, it's, a, it's a really tough one to answer that, George. I mean, <laughs> I, I would say yes and I would say no. Uh, <laughs> I, I think you're right. You know, I think the, the basic cyber hygiene um, in so many breaches, that's what people point to and say, you know, the, the policies weren't being adhered to, the, the updates weren't being done, the patches weren't there, the third-party suppliers weren't being managed appropriately, uh, and, and all roads lead to the, the, to the CIO or the, or, or the CISO. Um, but at the same time, I, I think that, you know, cyber is such a fast-moving, uh, innovative space in and of itself that if you do have a CIO or a CISO that isn't able to, to think in an innovative way. You're going to be losing ground. So for me, it's about balance. It's about making sure that you are providing your team with the most adequate resources, the most appropriate resources to get the job done, that you do have the basics covered, but that you're also providing some room for them to be a little bit more innovative and expansive in terms of helping you to drive the business forward. Because innovation, is, is really the, the, the way that we all have to go in a digitally enabled uh, uh, business. 
Uh, if we don't innovate constantly, we're going to get left behind. And I think it's a real tough one for uh, for organizations, you know, as to how much time do you spend on on each. But my answer is that you, you've got to do both, like it or not. So it seems to me, too, that in these discussions about how you're making, you know, uh, changes in the organization to advance the maturity model of IS, it, it seems to me that one of the biggest things that, that people talk about is this top-down cultural change that needs to be implemented and how difficult it is and how do you go about that transformation. So how do you do this in order to create what you have called in the past a, a cyber resilient culture? How does that work? Yeah, it's, it's about, and here we come back to, to leadership again. So it is about setting out your stall very clearly so that everybody across the enterprise understands the role that they have to play in enabling a cyber resilient culture. And, and that really is everybody. Because one of the things about organizations today that, that perhaps we didn't have to struggle with just a, a short number of years ago is that we are all digitally enabled. And I've said this a lot already on, on, on the show. What I mean by that is what you do in the home, you expect to be able to do in the office. So I may be accessing information on my smartphone. I may be throwing it up onto my TV. I may be um, uh, doing a whole range of different things in the home. I come into work. I expect to be able to collaborate, share, access information in exactly the same way. But in the home environment, I may not be as concerned about security as perhaps you are within the organization. So it's about doing that um, translation, if you like. It's about being transparent about it. It's about explaining to people why we need to have some of the policies, the processes that we have in place across the enterprise. And then it's about leadership by example. So, uh, you know, you, you cannot, as the leader of a business, advocate that everybody password protects their smartphone if you don't do it yourself. So it, it's that's a, just a really simple I I example. So how do you bring about a cyber resilient culture, it, it's about being transparent, it's about explaining, it's about taking time to, to help people understand why certain things are the way that they are. It's about aligning the, the direction that the company is going in with the way in which technology is going to enable that, and about reinforcing the need for there to be strong security in certain areas, but not necessarily in others. And what I mean by that is, we can't possibly hope to secure every single digital asset across the enterprise. It's, it's impossible. So we have to focus down on, on what I often call the crown jewels. What is it absolutely essential to you to, to have secured across your enterprise? And start there. And start by looking as well at the sorts of job functions that need to be accessing that information. So it isn't about you know, allowing Joe to have access to everything. It's about whether or not Joe's job function needs access to certain amounts of information. And if it does, then what are the guidelines we're going to put in place to secure the way in which Joe can access that information? And what is the benefit uh, to Joe in terms of how he goes about doing his job in having those guidelines? So I think we need to be taking a lot more time out to understand business flows, asset flows, digital flows, thinking about how we're securing them, thinking about who needs to access them, explaining that very clearly, having policies that are easy to implement. And as I say, having your leadership lead by example. Steve, do you think companies are patient enough to wait for the transformation to start to occur? Again, I, th I think that uh, some, of the, some of the smaller enterprises up there, some of the real fast growth organizations that we've got out there are, 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 have got a head start. Um, some of the bigger enterprises, some of the Fortune 500s, you know, they've clearly struggled in this space because we're talking about change management, we're talking about business transformation, and, and as we all know, that takes time. So for me, some of these um, younger, smarter um, start-out organizations really are able to, to get into positions of power very, very quickly from a, from a, a market standpoint because they're somewhat unencumbered. Um, but I think for the larger enterprises, particularly if we then move into government and places like that, um, it, it, it's, a, it's a bit of an uphill struggle. What do you think the best person is to drive these changes in the organization? I mean, I've seen a whole bunch of different models put in place. Obviously, in the small organizations, sometimes it's the CEO. Uh, in midsize, it's the CIO. In, 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 in very large organizations, it seems to be the CISO who owns the initiative. And then even, you know, if it's a real large organization, and maybe Fortune 50, 
a lot of times it's a managing director that reports this just so that's actually the, the transformation agent in that in that uh, in that department so what do you think is, is is best to drive these changes I don't think it's any one individual um, for me this is this has to be a team game um, there has to be collaboration and consistency across a number of different leaders in the business uh, again if I if I look at uh, my own organization then then certainly it is the the, the business leader it's, it's me in that instance CEO um, it is also uh, though the HR director the, the person responsible for the people you know a, a lot of what uh, we've talked about on, on the show so far is related to technology but People have a, such a key role to play in, in, from a security standpoint in, in you know, ensuring that uh, our assets are protected, in uh, looking for potential breaches, um, in the way that they respond to some of the things that we've just been talking about from a policy perspective and so on. And so HR has a, has a key role to play in that. Um, equally, so do the technology folks. You, you can't run a business today without, uh, without technology. And that is moving so quickly that... Uh, the CTO or CIO needs to be um, instrumental too in the way in which you're you're playing this game, um, and other organisations may have others that they bring into that on a, a you know uh, on an ad hoc basis. But but for me, um, those are certainly the, the three key individuals, um, and then you move into the business leadership side of things. So um, for some particularly uh, tricky implementations, you know that affect things like you know Salesforce marketing and so on. You want to get those leaders involved as well and supportive, um, because otherwise the, the initiatives will fail. Yeah, you, you mentioned the business folks. I think it's really imperative to have them on board, right? Because especially when it comes to patching, you know, getting them to understand how critical it is to, to get these patches out there, uh, regardless of some of the disruption it may cause to the business and the timing, you know, because of the impact that a, a breach could have and the consequences that a breach could have on an organization. Make sure they understand the risk that they're taking, you know, for those those, those few extra minutes or however long it takes to, to put in a patch and, and, and maybe have somebody reboot their laptop and disrupt their work for, for a little bit. So um, this is, uh, you know, it, it, this is, I think, where the rubber meets the road in terms of cultural change. And we're talking about responsibility and accountability in cybersecurity and who's responsible for what when certain incidents happen. Uh, we were talking about breaches before. We were, we were talking about also other specific operational uh, functions in cybersecurity. To what extent does security come down to the individual worker? And, and not necessarily the person that's in information security, but just, just an employee of the organization and the daily choices that they make, right? And, and what do organizations need to do to change behavior specifically? This is, this is very, very important. I think this is what a lot of people struggle with. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And, and, and the point you were making about that engagement with the business is absolutely fundamental in, in all of this. Um, the role of the individual. So, so look, the individual for me is, is the strongest link in the security chain. Um, some people describe it as the weakest. For me, it is the strongest. It, it, it is the person that has the ability to prevent a breach happening. Why do I say that? Well, you know, if we look at a lot of the ways in which breaches are taking place, we've got phishing going on, we've got um, uh, all, all sorts of, of um, social engineering and, and, and so on. And so what we're trying to do, I think, fundamentally, is to raise the level of awareness of the individual. So it, it's, you know, I often talk about, you know, think before you click. If, if you're getting some stuff in there that looks as if it's a little bit fishy, it probably is. So, you know, find out, and, and from an organization standpoint, inform your people what they can do. If they see something that doesn't look right, what do they do? Who do they talk to? Who do they send it to? Put that in place so everybody understands it. More importantly, perhaps, the, the most effective security awareness programs that I have seen have related security to what people do outside of the workplace. Why has that worked? Because we all have a vested interest in keeping ourselves secure at, at some degree or other. If you've got kids, you want to make sure, that, of course, that they're not accessing um, certain websites. You want to be able to control that. And so where I've seen awareness programs really hit home, it's where organizations have said, look, we're going to run a program that helps you to be more secure at the home. How many of you have got routers at home? How many of you know that you should have changed the password on that router? How many of you know how to change the password on the router? 
Um, so simple things like that. What they then found is that, that uh, guys coming back into the workplace begin to talk about this. So security becomes a conversation point at the water cooler, at the coffee machine. That's pretty unheard of. We don't tend to see that normally. What that also means is that things begin to spread uh, because everybody starts to talk about it. Uh, and so you're raising automatically that level of awareness. And so then when you see something that looks a little bit strange in your work email, you think, hang on a minute. Maybe I don't need to click on this. Maybe I do need to take a little bit of time out and just think about it. Maybe I need to send it to my IT guy or my security guy or whatever it happens to be. So I think those are the sorts of things from the organizational standpoint uh, that we can do. It's about helping to make every individual who works in our, in our organization understand the things that are going to make them more secure in the home environment and then have them bring that back into, into the workplace. And let's face it. With, uh, with IoT and, and, and the way in which our homes are becoming much more digitally enabled, then there's plenty of opportunity for, for the bad guys to, uh, to get into our homes and, and get access to information we'd really rather that they didn't. So let's talk about talent a little bit because we're talking about the people and their behavior and, and how much responsibility they have in, in the cybersecurity uh, infrastructure of an organization. There's a talent crunch in IT, but especially in, in, in security. And I've seen some numbers come out just recently that that's not going to change anytime soon. That's just, that trend is going to continue. And I'd like to know what you think about uh, and what your thoughts are on how best to attract and retain and, and grow talent in security. How are we going to do that? Yeah, this is, this is where we do need to be innovative. Um, we need to recognize that there is a shortage. The shortage will not go away anytime soon. And so we have to adapt to that. How, how do we do that? Well, I think there are a number of things that, uh, that organizations can do and leaders can do. We need to stop fishing in the pond that we've always been fishing in. What, what I mean by that is that with, with a lot of the um, security uh, vacancies that we have, we don't necessarily need to have people who have got 20, 30 years of experience in this space. Quite the opposite. A lot of the security um, challenges we've just been talking about in this, in this show relate more to people, uh, relate more to the psychology of the way in which we might use devices. And, and so that opens the door to a whole range of different candidates, if you like, that are able to work in a security space that don't have, on day one, security qualifications. So let's stop looking for these security qualifications. Let's look much more at the overall employee value proposition that we can put together to attract people into security. I was talking to um, a, a government uh, agency not so long ago, who has a, a, an acute shortage of security staff. And what they decided to do was to go out and run an advertising campaign for people that didn't mention security once. They had a whole range of people apply for that. Uh, particularly, they had um, returning mothers, they had people who wanted to work from home. Um, it opened up the pool available to them hugely. And they were able to fill their outstanding vacancies. What was interesting was they also then went back around to the people that they'd hired and said, if we had included security in that job advert, would you have responded to it? And the answer was no. So we have a perception issue as well that we need to get over here. Security, cybersecurity in particular, is a hugely interesting, fast-moving, innovative space. And yet we rarely get that message across from an organizational standpoint. So we have to really, I think, change the way in which we go to market. It is about making sure that people understand it is a vibrant space, it is challenging, but you don't necessarily need to have a deeply technical background. And, and certainly the way in which technology is changing means that it's probably more important that you're a fast learner and that you can think and join dots rather than that you understand specific security protocols or able to code. So I think that whilst there's still going to be a need for that very detailed uh, what I would call, you know, IT tech type security. There's also a whole range of, of different jobs in security where we don't need that or where we can train that. And it's interesting to see some very large organizations going to market for people who don't have specific technical skills on the basis that actually the softer skills are more important and they can teach them the tech skills. George, it's, amazing. it's interesting to hear Steve talk about this, right? Because I feel like we go right back to the same thing around transformation, which is patience, right? Can companies afford to wait to have people learn on the job? You know, if they have a major issue, can they, can they wait 
you know, and, and would, in the court of public opinion or in the compliance regulatory space, you know, do the do companies matter, right? It just seems to me like there's this, this, this theme of patience that needs to be addressed in our space around, can we let the talent mature and grow? And is there any favorability for companies that have an issue, right, or, or breach um, because they're, you know, are trying to attract a diverse set of talent um, that, that needs time to grow and understand some of this. I think it comes back to, you make a great point, and I think it comes back to a little bit of like laziness, right? And especially in, when I see mid-level managers trying to bring people in that have experience in exactly what they're looking for in the job description. They want extensive experience. They want them to speak the language of the business, and that means their business, right? They want them to already know names of proprietary tools, even to be familiar with it. It's crazy. It's crazy how specific they want. It comes back to lazy. I don't want to spend time teaching this person. I don't want to spend time mentoring this person. I want them to come in, hit the ground running, and just make my life easier. Now, it takes so long to find that person because, first of all, the talent crisis, there's not that many people out there, right? And they're, and they're being so prescriptive in what they're looking for that usually the, and these, and I see a lot of the times, these job wrecks are posted for like nine months. I mean, it's crazy. Um, to th- and even some senior positions out there have been posted like for a year. Because right. and it can be intimidating, right? Crazy. It can be intimidating. You've got to be uh, a polished corporate executive, uh, understand the business and its most critical data. You've got to be a technical wizard, um, and you've got to be able to speak in front of people, right? All kind of at the same time, right? And you look at these roles, and people are going, like, where do you find that, right? Where do you find that, you know, at a high level, like at, at scale, Right. Yeah. yeah, we're all hunting for the for the same unicorn, right? And 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 <laughs> the unicorn doesn't exist. Um, and and that's why you know I'm I'm so much more in favour these days of, of things like apprenticeships, uh, of working with colleges, uh, of, of trying to you know really capture um, people at a much much earlier stage, bring them in, particularly from a large enterprise perspective, bring them in at an early stage. Um, you know, get them to understand how they can use some of their skills and their talents. Have some of these outreach programs. That's how we're going to solve the problem. We're not going to solve the problem by going on a unicorn hunt. No, I agree. You know, this is good stuff. We've got to uh, take a, a short break here to hear from our sponsors, guys. But don't go away, folks. We'll be right back with more from our special guest, the Managing Director of the Information Security Forum, Steve Durbin. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 hacker innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Synet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Synet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Synet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at Secure security-innovation.org or Google Sinet, S-I-N-E-T. Account takeover is the fastest growing form of cyber attack. Criminals exploit compromised accounts for financial gain, often causing irreparable and long-term damage to finances and reputation. Many companies think they're protected. They believe using a password manager, multi-factor authentication, behavior-based technology, password rotations, or solutions that scan the deep and dark web is enough. Yet the account takeover problem only continues to get worse. SpyCloud combines human intelligence and automated technology to prevent account takeover for your customers and employees. We recover stolen credentials early in the account takeover lifecycle before the credentials are sold on dark forums. Check your exposure for free at spycloud.com. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with our special guest, the Managing Director of Information Security Forum, Steve Durbin. So, Steve, I, I want to talk a little bit about third parties and third-party risk and the, and the role of third parties play in, in information security. Uh, really, obviously, in, in this environment, few companies can go it alone on security. People use a host of outside uh, security uh, vendors. How do they fit into, into the picture in your mind? And is there a need for vendor consolidation if the, the partner ecosystem becomes too complex, which I think, you know, it's just, if you go to the RSA conference, you're almost overwhelmed, right? Yeah, oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, there's, there's, there's no shortage of vendors out there who've got solutions that you absolutely must have. Um, I, I think, though, that, that uh, you know, some of these guys do get, do get a bad rep, and, and, and there is clearly a place for um, working with some, some trusted third-party providers. I, I think from the organizational standpoint, you, you need to decide, first of all, what your strategy is going to be for uh, resource management. Um, for instance, you may well decide that you're going to outsource a significant proportion. I'm thinking of perhaps your security operations center or, or, or some of these other things. Um, and, and then it's about making sure that you've got the right component pieces. For, for me, an organization is if it's right sized, if I could put it that way, is probably going to have three different component pieces to it. It's going to have its full-time employees that are doing the, the um, absolutely essential work that the organization wants to control itself in-house. It's going to have a, a contractor group that could well be coming from, from, say, the gig economy, people who are there specifically to do a job and, and have no desire to, to stay for any longer than that specific job. And then it's the trusted third party that, uh, that you're working with. Um, and you need, I think, to be able to manage those third parties effectively in order to get the best from them. They need to understand the way in which your business is headed. They need to understand the, the security processes that you need them to comply with. Uh, and they need to collaborate and work with you. And, and the time to get that right is right at the beginning. I often talk about making sure that you've drawn up the, 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 the prenup before you, um, before you actually sign the contract with the, uh, with the third party provider. Because when things go bad, you know, that, that's not the best time to be trying to negotiate an out. So um, I think that they have a very valuable role to play. Um, but it's about really deciding from the organizational standpoint how they best fit uh, and then going forward from there to make sure that you get the best from them. You see people using a lot of vendors that overlap in an organization because of the, the complex environment now. Steve, you there? I'm here. Hey, do, do, you, do you see a lot of people using uh, overlapping vendors uh, when in their organization right now because it's so complex and it gets so confusing, especially in large organizations? Yeah, I think so. And, and, and we're seeing consolidation in that space. But, but you know, George, there, there's a flip side of consolidation. Um, I mean, one of the recent reports that we came out with on, uh, we, we call it the Threat Horizon uh, 2021, we're talking about, you know, one of the, at least one of the big tech giants, and we're talking here about the Amazons, the Facebooks, and, and, and so on. At least one of those big tech giants being broken up. And that's significantly disrupting the availability of products and services that are, that are able to be provided to, to organizations. Um, so there's, there's another side to this, you know, that it, you don't have to consolidate uh, everything. It's, it's about making sure, I think, that you consolidate where it makes the most sense to do so, but also being very aware that uh, you need to understand your overall exposure 
to some of these um, big, large corporates if you've gone down that consolidation route. And so you're reviewing your strategies and updating your resilience and your business continuity in the context of, uh, of these things. Let's talk about the board a little bit and you know the frequency of these discussions. How frequent should a CISO brief the board? And it should, should it be the CISO? Should it be the CIO or should it be the, the CRO, whoever the CISO reports to? Or should it be a combination of the both? Who should lead that discussion and how often should that occur? Yeah, I think when we talk about briefing to the board, uh, very often there are briefings that take place that are not actually to the main board. So it may well be to a committee. And, and for me, that is equally important. When I talk to um, very large organizations, um, they will point to a, a, a briefing either to a, a board committee or the board itself on a quarterly basis. I, I think if we're looking at main board agendas, and uh, McKinsey did some, some great work in this space uh, just last year, uh, and you look at the sorts of things that, that boards typically spend their time on, then security doesn't figure hugely in that. It, it tends to be things like strategy, performance management, uh, investments, you know, governance, compliance. And so I think the challenge for, for anybody who is going into a main board room to, to present on, on, say, security or cyber, is how do you relate that in a way that the board understands? And, and what is the, the pre-work that you have done with board members to make sure that you've got some sponsors on your side? You know, are you constantly briefing some of your sponsors on what they ought to be looking out for? And are you relating effectively the impact of some of the security things you want to be talking about to the, the typical things that the board understands, like risk management, shareholder and stakeholder management, and, uh, and so on? So um, that, that really, for me, is, is uh, the key to success in terms of communicating with the board. The, the boardroom meeting itself, whether that be twice or four times a year, really is the conclusion of the work that you have been doing in the, in the previous three to six months with your boardroom sponsors to make sure that uh, they really understand the messages that you want them to uh, approve and endorse. Hey, Steve, so we've had some folks on the show in the past talking about cyber risk exposure and measuring cyber in financial terms. You know, how much more successful you know, would we be as practitioners going into the boardroom to talk in terms of dollars and cents with the board? Yes, it's a great question because we're, we're certainly seeing much more of a, of a stronger move towards that these days. I mean, uh, as, as you know, Andy, we, you know, security has, has tended to, to, to live much more in that whole sort of qualitative space. Um, and that has been problematic uh, when we talk to business leaders because the business obviously is, likes to understand the, the, the dollars and the cents. Uh, and so I think that there is uh, certainly a, an emerging trend now for organizations to, to want to understand and put a number on um, the, the, the way in which cyber programs are being run and the effectiveness, effectiveness of them. Doing that, however, in a realistic fashion, shouldn't be underestimated. It, it is a big job because we're, we're changing the way that we traditionally tended to view uh, cybersecurity. Uh, do you get more engagement from the board if you're able to do that? Um, certainly, because you're speaking a language that, that they understand. Um, but I think that, that certainly I've seen some pushback from, uh, from CISOs who are somewhat reluctant to get into that space um, because they've got, you know, a certain amount of history related to a more qualitative approach. So we're going through, uh, I think, a period of change in that area, but certainly th there is no doubt that uh, board members respond better uh, if you can articulate it in a language that they understand. And for many of them, that is going to be, you know, the language of dollars and cents. Um, but it's also about understanding the implications of, of some of that. So it's, it's uh, um, I think, an interesting discussion for organizations to be going through as to exactly what what language should we be using and, and how can we more effectively communicate with, uh, with our board colleagues? How about some of these emerging technologies that we're talking about a lot? You see, RSA, artificial intelligence was one of the main themes, but it, it, what came about in the discussions was that artificial intelligence doesn't truly have an impact on cybersecurity today. It will, people think, I, I'm one of those people who think it will in the future, but today, it really doesn't have that much impact, whereas, you know, obviously machine learning, IoT, you mentioned, uh, certainly does. What are the implications for a typical business, especially from a CEO perspective? 
Yeah, I, I think that uh, I, I think you're right. AI, you know, that's that's we're a way off uh, in terms of uh, true artificial intelligence. Uh, I think machine learning that's certainly here uh, at the moment. There are you know large number of organisations making making use of that. For me, uh, machine learning and, and eventually when we get to AI, those present us with the opportunity to um, really deal with some of the some of the key challenges that we face in in security. Um, we're moving, you know, to, towards uh, an ever-expanding threat landscape. Uh, it's becoming more and more difficult for us to, to actually spot some of the linkages, some of the challenges, some of the uh, permutations that we're seeing in terms of potential breach and across our networks and, and, and so on. And so I think that um, technology has a role to play in helping us do that. But, but I certainly see a, a, a world where um, we have the human working in conjunction with AI and machine learning based systems um, so that we can then make decisions based on some of that input that we're getting from that particular space. And, and certainly, you know, machine learning is far better equipped to do some of the more mundane, perhaps um, uh, boring tasks, you might say, uh, from, a, from a security standpoint, freeing up the human element to, to work on some of the other elements. So I think that there's a, a, a huge opportunity in that particular space. We're just not there yet. And, and certainly um, when I look at where, you know, machine learning or AI um, experiments and programs are being run across businesses, it's not in security at the moment. It tends to be in um, marketing, for instance, in sales, in, in terms of modeling the way in which people will, will perhaps respond to a certain simulator to, to sell more products and so on. But, but that's a good place for it to start. And I, and I always encourage security teams to get engaged and involved in that because there are learnings that they can bring back into the security environment uh, from uh, from being part of those uh, business-led teams. So we're running short on time, but I, I, want, I don't want to go without asking you this question. What are some of the biggest threats you see on the horizon in cybersecurity and how should we as business leaders prepare? Yeah, uh, I mean, I'm... I'm I, it, it, it's ever-changing. I, I think there are a, a couple that I would call out. Um, the first is is the cloud. I think that we're all moving to the cloud. We all understand that the cloud uh, brings some um, really high value to an organization, but that also presents some um, emerging threats, particularly from things like nation states that are aiming to disrupt economies, take down critical infrastructure uh, by sabotaging cloud infrastructure through physical attacks or simply by exploiting vulnerabilities in technology there. So, so what can we do? Well, we've got to profile how we're going to use cloud services across the business, understand the dependencies in that, and then review and constantly update uh, some of our business continuity plans and procedures to make sure that uh, uh, in the event of a takedown, and we've seen these takedowns, you know, not, not uh, um, through attack, but, but simply by things going wrong, you know, with things like Google, for instance, uh, back, in, back in June. Google uh, Cloud was down for quite some while, and, and that impacted uh, YouTube and, and Google Pay and a whole range of things. So it, it, it does happen. So, so the cloud for me is one of them. Um, the, the other one uh, I would say is, is uh, what, what we term rushed digital transformations. So organizations having to undertake you know, ever more complex digital transformations, back to deploying cloud, AI, 5G, of course, and, and expecting those things to then be able to integrate with underlying systems. And very often these legacy systems, you know, the people who designed them aren't in the business anymore. Um, they may be designed and built in languages that aren't being used anymore. Um, and, and that really is, is, is calling out for organizations to take a step back uh, to review whether or not some of those transformations have sustainable dependency on legacy or underlying systems. Um, and if they do, to, to put in place the, the plans accordingly. I, I've seen too many businesses fall over because they have built complex systems on top of legacy without fully understanding what the legacy is, mainly because it's come about through rapid acquisition without true due diligence. And, and we, there are some examples out there where, where companies that have had breaches have been criticized for this, Equifax being one, of course. So um, those, those are two big threats uh, that, that are out there. And, and, and I call them out because it's, it's something that most organizations that I talk to, irrespective of where they are in the world, are engaged in, in to some extent today. Hey, Steve, I think we got to wrap up the show. And I, mean, I really appreciate you coming on. I mean, I can't wait to have you back again. I think TF7 
and ISF can do great things together in the future as well. I'm really looking forward to, you know, working with you. No, re really enjoyed it, George. Thank you very much for having me on. And, and Andy, good to, to talk to you as well. Thanks, Steve. All right, guys. Before we go and remind our listeners to visit the Cybersecurity Hub to read a recap of tonight's show, you get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at www.cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Stay frosty out there. Thank you for tuning in this week to Task Force 7 Radio. To learn more about Task Force 7 Radio, please visit our website at taskforce7radio.com. Be sure to join your host, George Reedus, again next Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel.